Need some inst- little kazoos. You could do kazoos, whatever. Anyway, uh, hi. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew six. <laughs> Get you little instruments. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think we got bongos in the back. You could do a lead-in. <laughs> Uh, Matthew 6, did I say that? All right, let's begin with prayer. Let's thank God for our time to hear his word and to be enlightened by uh, the truth of his words. This is so marvelous to be able to have instruction by our Lord concerning prayer and uh, in the midst of this prayer, instruction on almost everything that we should know. And so with humility and reverence, reverence, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your glory. Thank you for who you are and, and, uh, and the fact that we can, by your work through Jesus Christ our Lord, have confidence to know that we are your sons and your daughters, that we come to you uh, in your throne, by your throne, in your heavenly abode, and we, by reverence and humility, speak to you and seek you and ask of you to guide and direct us as you can, as our great Father. Let us know, Father, that you are such that, that our experiences with our earthly fathers are nothing compared to you. They are earthly, you are in heaven. They are fallen, you are holy. And may we know you as such and know you as Father, as our Lord knew you as Father. And he made that abundantly clear, that you are his Father and ours. And so what a privilege, what an honor, and what blessing. May we see, Father, so that we do not worry or be concerned about anything or fear, but to have the joy that you would have us have that would please you. And so as we pursue these truths that are infinitely eternal. Uh, May your spirit enlighten each of us in our quest. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So uh, we're going to actually properly uh, start the Lord's Prayer uh, in this lesson. And over the next few lessons, look at uh, what I want to avoid is taking it piece by piece, and then you leave here every class with a piece. And I don't want that. So I'm, I'm trying, that's actually been too much of my ministry, and I'm trying to fix that. Uh, <clears throat> what I want us to see, and especially for this, it's a short enough prayer that we can take it all in every class, and then with the, the, the breath of it or all of it, uh, take an aspect of it and learn of that. Uh, because certainly, it, it, there's too much here I'll learn in one class, but there's there's um, things about it that we should, that one thing at a time that we'll take with us, but in light of the entire thing. Um, so, the Lord warns us before he starts this instruction. He says, we must avoid doing what we do to be noticed by others. And so, he, he says, beware of that. Uh, starting in uh, Matthew chapter 6. Whether we give alms, uh, whether we fast, or whether we pray, we are not to do it to be noticed by others. And therefore, we're not to do anything to be noticed by others, first and foremost. In our instruction about prayer then, he told us to go into our inner room and shut the door. And therefore, it's just us and the Father. No one else is in there with us. And therefore, even though you're praying for others and you have others in mind, there's no one there listening to you. It's you and your father in silence. And so there's nothing to be afraid of, embarrassed about, because one of the things we're going to see in this prayer is that it forces us to be honest. And it really does force us to be honest about the things that are important. 
and everything in the Christian life that's important, you can find it right here. I, I didn't believe it when I first started this study. When I first started it a while ago, and, and I haven't come back to it since then. And then this time around when I studied it, I, you know, I read that everything's here, but in the back of my mind, I say yeah because the people I'm learning from are excellent scholars that I adore. I adore their work. Uh, that have gone in the past before me. But you know, in the back of my mind, I'm like, that. you know, it's probably not really true. And the more time I've spent with it, the more I'm convinced. Everything that you could possibly pray about that is legit, that you could be concerned about, that is real, in, in terms of real eternal life, is all here. It makes our Lord very smart. Uh, and smart for us. You know, when I say smart for us, he, he gives us something short and sweet that covers everything, knowing our minds so that we wouldn't uh, make, the, I, I don't have enough time to say such a lengthy prayer, right? That you could say this prayer in, in 30 seconds if you were in a rush. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it, and he kind of, he gets, and he keeps it simple. Uh, it's very memorizable, that's a word, uh, because it's divided perfectly into two parts. Uh, and you know, there's there's no way there's no real way around it that if we take it at at his word then this will absolutely impact and change our relationship with God. Uh, Martin Lloyd Jones, who is an excellent scholar of the past, um, <clears throat> oh, he's um, anyway I won't talk about him. Uh, most of his stuff is marvelous. If you ever read his stuff, it's simple. He's kind of C.S. Lewis-y like as a theologian, uh, but uh, he's also got some tendencies towards Calvinism. But uh, prayer is beyond any question. He says in his studies in the Sermon on the Mount, prayer is beyond any question the highest activity of the human soul. Man is at his greatest and highest when upon his knees he comes face to face with God. Now, I'm sure there's a lot of people who would shun, even I was kind of skeptic at, all right, is it the highest activity of the human soul? And, you know, I, I guess we can be kind of weird about stuff like that, like we have to grade everything as first, second, third, and fourth, or whatever. But it certainly is among the highest. You're actually, whether we say, oh, no, people say, well, Bible study is more important. Okay, fine. You know, whoever wins the contest, I don't really care. You can't have one to the neglect of the other, is the point. Uh, you cannot um, successfully navigate the narrow road that leads to life without prayer. Now, I'm convinced of it. You can't do it. If we're weak in our prayer lives, we'll survive. We're not going to lose our salvation. You know, we're, we're, we're eternally secure. But to attain the heights of the spiritual life that pleases God and allows us to experience eternal life in time with great joy, you're not going to get it. It's not going to happen. Uh, God does not want a partial commitment from us. And we figured that out along the way. Uh, so <clears throat> the first three petitions. Now what we're going to look at today is the right approach. Why is it that Christ has it in the order that he does. And, <clears throat> and that's what we're going to see. The right approach is, is it self first or is it God first? Is it problems first and concerns first or is it God first? You know, and in, a, in my mind, I pictured a believer running up to heaven spewing out all his desires and wants and needs and fears and then saying thanks and then running out. And it's like he ordered fast food. I go in, I drop my request, kind of like in a, a box in a complaint department. Here's my problem, here's my issue, here's my confusion. Drop it off, see you, Father, and I'm away. Get back to me when you fix it. I'm like, uh. Is that what prayer is? You know, <laughs> and it's you know uh, it's not it's not that. So it, so first we we look at the peti the first petitions are inseparable from one another. 
the first three. So the first three divides the prayer right in half. But first is the address. Actually, first is the command. Uh, Jesus says in Matthew 6, 9, pray then in this way. Uh, The word way is not in the original. It says, therefore, thus, we can translate that as, in Greek, it's common to say, therefore, thus. Uh, but it, it, for us, we say uh, things like, uh, all right then, or let's talk about this, or something like that. And then he says, you pray. That's all he says. And pray is a command. You pray. Our Father who is in heaven. Now, that's the address. And the address is key. Um, who are we addressing? We're already at an, an issue that we have to deal with, and that is a wonderful issue, but at the same time can be a very dangerous issue. Uh, if I say, you know, if I'm like some in modern Christianity, you have this kind of lovey-dovey relationship with God, I'm going to say all of us should love God. But this whole, I pray to my, my, he's my dad, he's my, you know, he's my bro, you know, Jesus is J-Dog, my bro, <laughs> you know, I've heard J-Dog on the campus of uh, Corbin University. The kids were goofing around, but I'm sure it's popular enough. But, you know, it, it is a sort of like a disrespect and a lack of fear. First, first, we have to have fear of the Lord. But also, yeah, which is awe and, and respect and reverence. Um, remember, you come to him in the name of the Lord Jesus. And just because Jesus doesn't say that here, he says it later when he instructs on prayer. So just because he doesn't say, in my name, some are like, well, throw it out. You know, it's not for the church age. Uh, And I think people are just looking for an excuse to throw it out. Anyway, uh, we pray in the Lord's name, which means we're there representing the Lord. We are, uh, therefore, should act accordingly. But also, Father, and we'll get into this. This will be another lesson will be, who is our Father? Um, The Father is the earthly father you never had that every kid in their heart longed for. And maybe you had a great one. Maybe you had a brute of a father. And and there's a whole range in between, right? Maybe you had an absentee father, which is very popular lately. Uh, the, um, The fact is you have the father. And Jesus is sure to say, this is the father who is in heaven, not on earth. So this is the one of mercy and love and power and truth and infinite knowledge and loves you like no other. And, and that, you know, right, right at the start, I'm before Almighty God who's suddenly my father. I mean, suddenly at salvation, but every time I'm here in his presence, uh, this is something that our Lord wants us to, to understand and, and every day understand this, that his father is my father. And it's, he's not my father because he adopted me and gave me a bunch of stuff. He's legitimately, and I know in the Bible that adoption is used, but it's, he's my father because the Lord made him my father. I mean, he's legitimately my eternal father. And that alone is something else. So, right at the start, we're already, uh, you know, in the deep end of the pool, uh, even theologically. So, the first three petitions, our Father is in heaven. The first petition is, hallowed be your name or holy be your name. Command. (coughs) Your kingdom come, that's petition number two. Your will be done, that is petition number three. All three are commands, actually all six are commands. And the modifier to your will be done. Well, first, your kingdom. So you have two things you can pull out here is the two objects of the verb, your kingdom and your will. All right, now leave everything out for a second. Just think of God's kingdom and his will. His kingdom is eternal. Just because it isn't here on earth doesn't mean it don't exist. All right, when Jesus came to the earth, he said the kingdom of God the kingdom of heaven is in your midst. 
That's because the king was here. And, and, uh, and if you notice, when he, uh, if you remember, I should say, when he was baptized by John, the heavens opened. And the Father's voice, the Spirit descended upon him like a dove. We have the Son, the Father, and the Spirit. We have the whole Trinity there. After his baptism, the heavens open, right? So now, and this is another thing, because on earth as it is in heaven. So there's now there's a connection. This, the king is here, the heavens open, and now earth and heaven, which in so much of the Bible is at odds, is all of a sudden in one place on the Jordan River, completely unified. And it's not for long. Because when Jesus leaves, I mean, he leaves behind the church, but there's no peace. He said, don't, he said there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be earthquakes and famines. There's going to be, and they're going to persecute you. And when they do so, they're going to think they're doing the will of God. Conflict remains. <coughs> but at that time, and subsequently for the whole time he was here on earth, in the midst of him, meaning the, the man, Jesus Christ. After he's baptized, the heavens open. And what does God say? The voice from the Father comes from heaven and says, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And so, we have a kingdom, which has a king, and we have a will. Uh, the will of God is only done by one man ever. Lord Jesus Christ. And the first Adam broke the will of God. Adam and Eve broke the will of God. We're all born sinners. We all break the will of God. Everybody has broken the will of God. One man has not. Now, when it comes to this kingdom, and we'll look at these two as well, like, what does it mean for your kingdom come? Is God going to, is he waiting for enough of us to ask for the kingdom and then he's going to send it? That would make God, you know, waiting on us. That is obviously not the case. Uh, so what is the desire here? And, and these are all petitions. So petitions mean desire. You know, what is it you want? The kingdom and the will, the kingdom is to come, and it is coming. Nobody's going to stop it. Right? Revelation chapter 20 here he comes. Get ready. <laughs> my sister-in-law, uh, my lesbian sister-in-law, which is a riot. Um, and I'll get to the riot part. She, uh, she had a shirt. It was a white t-shirt with black letters, plain black letters that said, Look busy, Jesus is coming. I never forgot it. Why is a lesbian walking around with that on? I have no idea. It was just, it was a part of the whole aura of the joke for me. Anyway, uh, your, so the kingdom is coming. Nobody's going to stop it. And the will of God will be done. Yeah? So there's a passage in Peter's second epistle where he says the whole world's going to be destroyed and it's going to be made brand new. Right? And that's when this happens. When, when this is it, its final consummation, that happens. It's not going to happen in our lifetime because it's after the church is out of here. So, but Peter says, in light of this truth, the fact that this world is temporary and the new world is coming, the new world is holy, this world is corrupt and cursed, uh, what sort of people should we be in conduct? That's how Peter writes it. What sort of people should we be? And so as we look at these petitions, when we say, well, all right, Peter, his kingdom is coming and his will will be done. Do I desire the kingdom of God? And I say, to come here on earth? Well, I can't make that happen. Only Christ can make that happen when he returns. But do I desire the kingdom of God in me? in my home, in my nation, in my community? And what can I do to make that, make that kingdom 
more, um, uh, more uh, I should say, exposed. Or as Jesus said, do your good deeds before men that your light may shine. Right? And so... Uh, <clears throat> And so it is clear here in the first three petitions that that kingdom in that will is coming and will be done. Whether we follow it or not, whether we desire it or not, it's going to happen. So what Jesus is getting at, getting to us here at the beginning is all about God and all about God's glory. The kingdom is to his glory, not ours. The, king, the will is to his glory. We didn't make it up. The will is to his glory. And someday, heaven and earth are going to be completely unified in both of those things. Right now, they're not. Right now, heaven and earth are at a crossroads. They're, they're at conflict. So while I'm here in the midst of this conflict, where I'm surrounded by those who don't want God's will or don't care about his kingdom... In fact, in that same passage in Peter, Peter says, you know, we've been mocked for a lot of years saying that Jesus is coming back and the kingdom is coming and it hasn't come. And people are mocking us for that, saying, well, you keep saying it's coming and it hasn't come. We're still getting mocked even more so today now that thousands of years have gone by. So what is our desire? And is our desire, therefore, God in his glory, or is it us? So, we find here in the prayer that then, and only then, do we get to us. Now, we may say, well, let's take, we could conclude we we shouldn't be so literal about the order. And I, I agree, obvious, it's obvious that Jesus doesn't particularly say, give us a command to make sure you follow this order. Do not take things out of order. Uh, and he doesn't say that. But the fact that he does give us an order, and it's not, the order isn't, so there's six petitions, and it doesn't go God, then you, then God, then you, then you, then God. Or any mix of that. It's God, 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 you, you, you. So what does that lead us to? It leads us to something that actually uh, bears out very well uh, in, in the entire narrative of the Bible. Um, of all that have glorified God throughout the Bible, have all their circumstances been the same or have they varied? Have they been in different positions? Or have they all been the same kind of people? Have they been from different walks of life? Some rich, some poor, some kings, some peasants, some fishermen, some tax collectors. Yeah, not even the apostles are all very much alike, are they? And But yet, there's something similar about all of them. And that is, by faith, they glorified God from wherever they were, whether they suffered and were martyred or whether they lived rich, easy lives, whether they were thrown into the lion's den or not. And uh, their circumstances didn't matter. But yet, when, and therefore, when we pray, if, we, if you have a tough circumstance, what's the first thing you want to talk to God about? Relief of that circumstance. I mean, the first thing you want to talk about is you. But in actuality, the first thing that's important in life is not you at all. It's not. It's not me. It's not you. It's what we, we, we find those who, when they get in trouble in the Scripture, like say David, for instance, gets himself in a lot of trouble, gets his eyes on himself. And that always seems to start it with everybody. King Saul, who would have been the, the blessed king. Yeah, he, want, he was more concerned about being popular as a king than he was in glorifying God. David was the opposite. So, the final three. So, the first three are inseparable. The final three are also uh, inseparable. 
And the final three completely depend upon the first three. So uh, first we have contentment. Give us this day our daily bread. There's a tricky translation in there that we'll get to, but uh, it's the word daily that's in question. Is it daily bread or is it tomorrow's bread? The Greek word that's used here is not used anywhere else in the Greek whole world. It's only used here. And so it's really hard for us to figure out what it means. It looks like some other words, but it's not some other words. And so <clears throat> daily is the going consensus. It might mean you know tomorrow's bread or something like that, but even if you took daily out, it would work. Uh, but give us, it's command, our bread. Now bread is used a lot in the Bible to depict the sustenance of mankind. And it always, not always, but it, it frequently, when Jesus says, you know, I'm not the steak that comes out of heaven, I'm the bread that comes out of heaven. You know, bread is the sustainer. You know, man lives by bread. So, um, this is whatever God provides for us. We're requesting it. You know, and in a way, we know that we say, well, you know, God's going to provide my needs anyway. Well, that's true, but you know, are you thankful for those needs, and are you expectant of those needs? And why is it important to be, I'm getting ahead of myself in the prayer, but why is it important to be expectant of those needs? Well, you might think that you're, you might be in the back of your mind completely convinced that your needs come because you have money in your pocket, or your needs are supplied because... You know, it's because of Safeway <laughs> or because of the government sent you a check or your, someone bought you some food. But is, are they real source? No. And when we forget that God is the source of our daily needs, then again, we're off track and, and it can hinder greatly our spiritual lives. You know, you... One tiny glimmer of a thought that is selfish leads to other selfish things, and it's like gangrene inside of us. It just grows. So give us today our daily bread. That's contentment with what you have. If God gave it to you, and go back, God is sovereign, holy, kingdom, will. He's all in all. Can he make a mistake? Did he look? You know, did he look down in his spreadsheet and say, "Whoa, I neglected to give Joe all I wanted to give him today." You know, I guess I forgot. I have so many people to take care of. You and I get exactly what he wants. Do I get discontent with it? You bet. So do you. This is why we're told to pray this day in and day out. There's far less chance of us forgetting this. When we're praying it. Next, forgive us our debts as we forgive the debts of others or forgive our debtors. This is particular to the grace of God in light of our shame. Uh, all of us have sin. And we should, um, you know, we know we're forgiven of that sin. It's not that we're walking around with an incredibly low self-image. We know that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But we're also not to be a joyous sinners, you know, having joy or hearty approval in our sin. There's a certain amount of shame that comes with sin because we love the glory of God. We know we're sinners. We don't want to do it. And so forgiveness is of extreme importance. And to know that on a daily basis and then our humility in the face of the failures of others. How amazing it is that all of us as sinners, and especially in our areas of weakness, when we see another commit that same sin in that area, we love to put him down. Love to judge him. How could you do that? Loser. Meanwhile, you have not looked at yourself. Hence, it's not reversed. Forgive us our debts so that or as we also forgive our debtors uh, our forgiveness we understand and then we are forgivers of others and then lastly 
is how do we navigate through life? Narrow road, right? A lot of temptations. Kingdom of darkness. It says at the end here, deliver us from evil. But the Greek word evil uh, has a definite article on it. So it's like the evil and it's in the masculine. So it could very much mean the evil one, uh, referring to the devil. Uh, since he, we, as we know, we, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers that, you know, don't, do not lead us into temptation. This temptation word comes directly from the devil. It is clearly, I'll show you that, it's not being tested by God. It's being tested by the devil, which he does allow. We're asking God here to lead us and to lead us on this narrow road in and around all the landmines and the pitfalls and all the places that we could go wrong, where we need it. We cannot navigate on our own. We have no GPS. And so we have to follow him. This is exactly what Jesus said. Pick up your cross and follow me. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So on the the second part of the Lord's Prayer, which are about us, is our contentment are dealing with our shame and sin and forgiveness, our lack of judgment of others and our humility to others and our navigation of the narrow road that leads to life. And that would include everything that's important about your life. You think of anything else that you could pray for that's legit, you can fit it into any one of these categories. So each petition expresses a desire. By praying them, we're faced with our desire concerning them every day. We are to forget about the opinions of others and to be with God alone in our inner room, deal with our desires truthfully. And they, they really do get to desire. Um, you know, I can just parrot the words or I can consider, you know, do I, do I seek... To make God's name holy in my heart and in my life. Holy means set apart, sanctified. It means righteous and meaning his name is his person. So the name of God is the person of God. It is his holy name. It's used, you know, when he came to Moses, he said, my name is what? I am what I am. that, That part, that name is he's the eternal one. Uh, he has many names in the Old Testament, and he has many names in the New Testament. Uh, those names refer to his person, his character, his attributes. And do I want those attributes? Do I really desire them? Because there's things I've got to do if I'm going to make them a reality in my life. Uh, I'm confronted with that. Every one of these petitions, from the start to the finish, make me confront my personal desires. And there's something about being honest. You say, well, God already knows all my heart, and he does. And so if you're honest with him, you're honest with yourself. Thoughts matter to our soul. Our soul is made up of them, of thoughts. And and being made up of thoughts, if we lie to ourselves, we deceive ourselves, and deception is always darkness. It's the title for Satan. He's a deceiver. Uh, So being honest with God, which we completely can do, we know we're not going to be... Plus, we know he sees it anyway. Jesus says, look, before you ask your father, he knows what you're going to ask him. He already knows the problem. He already knows the solution. He has it all figured out. And so we can be completely honest. And when you're honest with him, you're honest with you. So, but starting at the front, when we begin this prayer, we approach properly. We must initially face God as Father and each of us as children under his authority, under his laws, in fear of him, and at the same time experiencing all the comfort and blessing that comes with having such a Father, one that I can call Father for real. Then it is our desire for his sphere that is upon us, heaven and holiness. 
And then we face our desire for his kingdom and his will, which are coming. Do I desire them? Or, and I can be honest with God and say, well, you know, by my actions and my thoughts, which I know, I can honestly say, God, that I desire me more than I desire you. I want to say that. <laughs> but what's the point in lying to him? What's the point? There is no point at all. And if you keep lying to yourself, how is that problem to be fixed? It's never a problem, actually. I mean, it is, but it's a self-deceived non-problem, which is a big problem. Jesus said, if the light in you is darkness, it's a great, great darkness. So, and all of us have, we're all sinners here. Right? We might imagine that some of us have an easier time with this uh, conflict of interest with God. That there ain't one. And thank God for the Apostle Paul for writing Romans 7. When I, I, the great Apostle Paul, this isn't the day after his salvation either. He writes Romans like almost 30 years after he's saved. And he puts it in the present tense. What I want to do, I don't do. Wretched man that I am. Jesus here, in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount, which calls us to the highest good, makes us face our desires. Now, one of the main reasons, and I think if it's not the main reason, and, and it comes out, uh, and I, I've often wondered, maybe not deeply enough, but now I can, now that I'm more educated in this, and a truly knowledge about Scripture is, is you know, you can't do, if, if I'm a prayer warrior, but I don't know anything about the Scripture, or I don't know much about the Scripture, you don't have a lot to talk about. I mean, as Jesus said, you're not going to be heard for your many words. So you could be just a jibber-jabbering fool and, you know, you're saying nothing. The content is of extreme importance. And knowledge of these things makes my prayer uh, much more effective and powerful because I'm talking to God about things I truly understand that are dealing with him and his plan. Uh, I think that I, I've always wondered why prayer is like of anybody I've ever talked to. If you say, you know, is what's the weakest part of your Christian life? It, everybody agrees it's prayer. You know, what, do, what do you do the least? Studying doctrine, I think, is easier than prayer. You show up at Bible class and somebody blab, you know, somebody me me or somebody else blabs at you the Word of God, or you read. But even you find out that reading the Word of God is a little bit harder than listening to it. You gotta sit down. You gotta focus right, if you're gonna read it. And then we come to prayer, and if people find it lacking in their Christian lives and and difficult, and I'm suspecting that a lack of understanding about this, the proper approach that Christ gives us, is one of the main reasons why Christians have weak prayer lives. If you come to God with you and only you, you have no real encounter with the Father and with the Lord Jesus Christ as your brother. And so you kind of get nothing out of it. If prayer is another avenue by which I complain or dump my problems, you know, like you do when you get on call on Ethel or whoever is your, your favorite gossip listener or you know, the shoulder that you cry on. And how do you get out of it? How do you get anything out of it? If we only encounter ourselves, it's really we're encountering ourselves in a verbal monologue to God, then what do we get out of it? I think a lot of people pray and they don't find any peace. We dump all these problems on God. Is he going to fix them? Is he not? Right? Is I, pr I pray to him about healing. Nine times out of ten, I don't get healed. 
I pray to him about this problem. It doesn't disappear. I pray to him about this sin weakness. He's definitely not taking it away. I've asked and I've asked. I don't know. Do I get any peace out of that? I think as we look here at the Lord's Prayer, we are reminded, as first matter of business, how vital it is to have a right approach. People pray and leave without peace. So they say, prayer doesn't work. Nothing happened. I didn't get any satisfaction. But most of the trouble is due to the fact that their approach to prayer might be all wrong. Did they know what they were doing? Did they heed the instruction? They figured that prayer was like another request in life. You simply put it in. Send them an email with the problems. We tend to be self-centered in prayer. And I've talked to people about this after teaching this, and I've already taught on this aspect of it, that you know, they've said to me, and I agree, I, and I've done it myself, I catch myself doing it, that I have a sin on my mind or I have an issue on my mind, a problem on my mind, and I need to get to that immediately. I don't have time, nor do I have the mental concentration because I'm so occupied with my problem that I can't say, our Father who is in heaven and think about heaven and think about holiness. I don't have time. I'm too bothered. Think about that. Could you only praise God when everything in your mind is at peace? It's a good question. But I think we, we tend to be self-centered in prayer. We think we're going to God for, for what? Solve our problems, which he desires to do. But again, think of all the heroes throughout the Bible. Got all their problems solved. Not even close. There's a great chapter in that, Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, by faith, men pleased God and women. <clears throat> so we think of ourselves and our troubles and our perplexities in prayer. We start talking about them at once, and of course nothing happens. So we should ask, you know, who are you talking to? You might as well talk to the wall if it's just a complaint session. Uh, we, we, we say, well, what, I, I did say God the Father. Yeah, I said Father, here it is. And, but, you know, the name of the Father, holy in heaven, did you consider it? Did you thank him? Because it makes all the difference. Who is he to you? Would you speak that way to someone you revere? I know some protest, like I said. These issues are occupying my mind and I must get to them as soon as I possibly can. And I understand, everybody understands that. But why would the Lord give us three petitions about God and then and only then get to us? Is it random? I don't think so. Um... I can imagine that after we unload, say, well, say, you know what, and, and I've, I do this too, even after this learning, I'll be, I'll, Father, I, and I, I go right to him with my problem. Oh, and my hip was hurting, that's all I talked to him about. <laughs> I mean, I was, in, I was at pain level like nine, and I couldn't think of anything else besides, please, please, please get rid of this pain. Um, yeah, you know, even if I did say, "Father, you're holy," I wouldn't have been. I wouldn't have been had my heart into it at all. And I, I'm. Am I saying that's right? I'm not. I'm not. I'm saying I am as human as you are. But let's say, all right, I unloaded all my problems on God. I did not praise Him. I did not thank Him. I just unloaded my problems, and then I decided to praise Him and thank Him. Cool. It's better than not praising him at all. But now, after you have praised him, would you think of those problems and those concerns differently? Maybe God wants them to remain. Did you think of that? Um, you know, what are the solutions here? So, if you're going to get around to praising him, you know, dump the problems, praise. Then go back to the problems. 
I say, why not praise him first? It only takes a few minutes. So the first step in prayer is recollection. There is a sense that in every person he begins to pray, he should consider and recall who God is to them. What has he done for you? Who is he? What is he? Where is he? What's come? You know, his kingdom, his will. Have you considered his will when you wanted to deal with your issues or your problems? Um, So we find this in the book of Job, where Job shot his mouth off to God out of pain. I mean, none of us, I don't, I've never heard anybody say, wow, Job, what a jerk, you know, except for God. <laughs> but, you know, none of us who read it, we see Job as a hero, as a spiritual champion, and yet he goes on and on and on and on complaining to God about his situation, demanding a hearing with God, demanding a courtroom appearance with God, and demanding to know why. And Job couldn't have known why. He couldn't have. Job wouldn't have understood anything that went on about Satan. It wasn't revealed to him that Satan came to heaven and accused Job. And, and Well, really, God brought up Job and Satan accused him and God let Satan loose on this righteous man. He couldn't have understood anything about it. But yet, we find out what he should have known is that God cannot be unjust and that God could only deal with Job out of love and justice. And Job, he lost that. He lost that thought. He had it at the beginning. Lord gives, Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. He had it. But then enough was enough. All of us could understand. But then God comes and talks to Job. And he says, Job, gird yourself up like a man. We're going to talk. And then he starts with actually creation. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you? No, tell me if you have understanding. And God goes on for a while and then Job says this, Job 40 verse 4. He says, behold, I am insignificant. What can I reply to you? I lay my hand on my mouth. And I think this is sort of the same response that Jesus is inciting in us at the start here. Before we get to, we'll get there. You're going to get to you, all your sins and your needs and your failures and and the, the issues you have and the decisions you have to make. All of those are important, but they're not important outside of you praising and glorifying God. Because if if God if you just you know if God solved all your problems and gave you all your needs and everything was rosy and great and you had no concern for Him, no worship, no praise, no thanksgiving, no love, what's the point? Is that why we're here to have an easy time of it? Is that the purpose of our lives? It's never been the purpose of anybody's life. Not even Adam and the woman in the garden. Because God put a tree there that they weren't supposed to eat of. It was never even part of their design to just live, you know, an easy, easy, comfortable life. They were to be challenged. And so are we. What is God bringing us to? I mean, really, what is the end goal? It's, it's, an, it's an easy way to look at the purpose of mankind is to see what it looks like at the end. And certainly our lives are going to be wonderfully, I, I would say, easy <laughs> at the end of it all in heaven and a resurrection body and a new earth and a new heaven, sure. But what are we, why does that occur? What is the significance of it? I mean, truly, what is the significance of eternity? That there's no longer a heaven and an earth. They're one. 
There's no longer His will and my will. They're one. There's no longer, Jesus is so far away at the right hand of God, I wish I could see Him. He's right there next to you. Forever. No matter what our circumstances, problems, issues, confusions, all of that, that we want solved, no matter what they are, the end goal is our absorption into God, our fellowship with God, our union with God, our, our walking with God, our <clears throat> living with God. That His life and my life are not in conflict. That's truly what spiritual life is. It was never in conflict with the Lord. And it's not to be in my life either. So, at the start, we're coming to God to talk. Time is precious. There's another thing that gets into our minds. I had, I had to actually test this out on a clock for me to, to get over this hurdle. That if I'm praying all that he tells me to pray, I'm going to have no time for anything else. I've got to study. I've got schoolwork. I've got family. I've got, you know, I've got all this stuff to do. And I timed myself praying everything I could think of. And I, I like, opened my eyes. I thought like a half an hour had gone by. It was like 15 minutes. <laughs> and I took my time. I'm like, man, am I just a lousy prayer? Because Jesus has spent all night in prayer. Uh, so, but yeah, I probably am. Have I been good at prayer my entire Christian life? Probably not. But I don't want that to be true anymore. And, and, I, and I think of this. If, if I just say, well, the old way that I've learned this is just fine, it's good enough, then why wasn't I great at prayer before if it was good enough? It was me and my sin and my, my stupidity. Maybe that's true. But at least I have to look at it differently. And I, I think, in this case, that, for instance, this um, right approach to prayer, which I had not been taught before and I've never thought of before. Is it true time is precious? Yeah. So we say, come on, we've got to get on with this. And if time is precious, and my prayer time, therefore, is super-duper precious... It actually doesn't take long. It's vital at first that we listen rather than talk. Just for a while. I know at some times you can listen longer than you will at other times. But Jesus doesn't give us a stopwatch here. He doesn't say, you know, the first three petitions should take you ten minutes or one minute or a half an hour or whatever. He doesn't say that. He just gives it to us. And I think over time we figure this out. And, and as I said before, if we don't do this, if we don't pray, we won't know anything about it. We, we might get it all down academically and remember some of the principles of it. But if we don't actually pray consistently, then we're not going to discover anything here. When we open with our Father, we need to recall who he is to us. And... Uh, And that, that's God's saying, wrap it up. That's stink bug. Look how occupied we are with it. We're like, ooh, finally a distraction. Ooh. Um, our Father. It's not my Father. When I first when I first started getting into this prayer, I was like, well, for us, we should change it to my. Who the heck am I telling Jesus that, you know, I think you got the pronoun wrong there, buddy. No, it's our Father because it's not just about you. This is plentiful in the rest of the New Testament of praying for others. As Paul, Paul in Ephesians 6 told us to consistently pray for others and pray for him. Well, not now, he's dead, but you know what I mean. So we need to recall who he is to us, who he is to the other members of the body of Christ, that at least. And then move on to kingdom and will, knowing that they're coming. 
you know, in light of, I read another article today that was all about how the, the, earth, the whole earth's going to go into a deep recession and it, and it gave reasons that I don't understand a bunch of financial mumbo jumbo, but I'm like, well, that looks serious. And I'm like, you know what? This isn't my kingdom. I do anything, well, I wish I would like to do anything for anybody to become a member of that kingdom. To shine the light of Christ to the world, to be a witness of Him, that's something I gotta pray about. But it's, you know, when it comes to the whole, the earth's gonna get fixed and the economy's gonna be great, and I, I would be, oh, sure, I want that, but if it, I have no control over it. But my Father does, and this isn't His kingdom. This kingdom is greedy and evil and dark. And we gotta snatch out as many souls as we can. Because when it does come, when he comes, like C.S. Lewis says this, he uses the imagery, when the author walks out on the stage to say thank you, the play's over. When Jesus comes back, the author comes back. That's it. There's no more time. And that day is coming. So, as we wrap this up, approach. That's what today is about. The initial approach. What good... Yeah. What good will your petition do if you do not at first feel the mighty and gracious arms of your Father in Heaven around you? It's imagery. You don't have to technically feel anything. But... There is, there has to be some kind of a response to the fact that initially, I've got an issue, I need to lay it on his shoulders, but at first, you are my father and I am your child. And just that thought must bring up certain, well, feelings. You can relax, be at peace. No one's better than your father. Feel his mighty arms around you. As uh, the imagery in the uh, the Psalms is, and I think Isaiah uses it too, that God puts his his pinions, his wings over his chicks. You're protected. Yeah? That mind, that thought first. So you start freaking out about things. If you don't have grace and mercy and promises and heaven in mind, won't you only be stating your problem to heaven and then running out like you just ordered fast food? If you don't have grace and mercy and promises, eternity in mind, how will you look at your problems? And we always expect immediate service. That's the other thing. Well, I pray. I prayed for this a hundred times. It never, never works. But Jesus says, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Wouldn't it do to have trust in the one I'm asking by remembering who he is. And then I can say, well, if you don't come through tomorrow, your name is holy. If you don't solve this problem completely for me right now, if the thorn in the flesh remains or you take it away, your name is holy. If this sudden problem that is up, turn my world upside down. If it doesn't get worked out by tomorrow, your name is holy. What I'm saying is that thoughts about God matter. They matter greatly. Actually, they matter the most. God didn't put us here to solve all our problems lickety-split. I mean, he is going to solve all our problems, but not in time. You get that last problem of death. You ain't getting by that one. Um, God put us here for his good pleasure. God put us here for his glory. And that's what he called us. He called us sons of glory. So it's And the thoughts about God matter greatly, way more than your problems do, or their solutions. Proper thoughts about who he is matters greatly. And that's why we spent a lot of time in the Psalms in this study, because that's where you find a bunch of them. Uh, and we'll start with that tomorrow. David, in the midst of his confession that is driving him insane. He's going to confess his sin at the start. 
and then, but at, in, intermixed with it, he's going to talk to God about his loving kindness and his covenant promises and forgive me my sin, and then back to God, glorifying God. <laughs> and he kind of, you know, and it, it, it's, all, it's very human, but it also, it doesn't really violate what the Lord has taught us, but it actually gives us a little, I don't know, call it a buffer or something. Right? If something is crazy important on your mind, you can. David will show us you can still get in there the thoughts that are necessary to praise God and thank God for who he is. That's got to be the most important thing. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for these words of our Lord. Thank you that you've preserved them as they are obviously of super importance to us. May you, through your Spirit, impress upon each of us the truth of the matter in the Scripture. Not my opinion, but what you have purposed for these words in our Lord's Prayer, so that we may understand them and use them to the effectiveness that you would have us, that would please you, and also bless our lives greatly. We ask in Christ's name, amen.